today we're back in um, Luke chapter 14, we start in verse 1, um, and so uh, it's kind of been a, a, you know, last week with Easter Sunday and, and looking at Matthew 28, but if you remember before that in the scripture, um, oh, actually one other announcement that wasn't in the announcements, starting uh, May 16th, which I believe is a Thursday, is the tentative plan we are looking at doing um, parenting as a ministry class for for those of you with young kids or adult kids maybe even, but uh, that uh, want to learn what the Bible has in store for parents and what the Bible recommends for training a child up in the way of the go and the ministry that that is. Um, so there will be childcare, which is a total blessing. For those who that are willing to come and serve and, and, and watch your children that need training, no. But no, it's a ministry. And so um, let me and Heidi know because we want to put that together. And even if we might have to move nights around for that to work, we're going to try to be as flexible as possible and make that available. And that will be getting put in the announcements. But so um, as we looked back at, at Luke 13, we had Jesus. He was in the synagogue. There was a woman that had been tormented, had, had some physical issues, and, and a, even a demonic influence with it for 18 years in the synagogue. And Jesus heals her there and, and brings out, hey, you know, is it okay to do this? And, and the Sanhedrin, they kind of get upset that he's doing this and working on the Sabbath, which wasn't the law, but was the church kind of tradition, which they expanded the law and all that. And so we had that scene going on. And then we had Jesus talking about hell and the reality of hell and your 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 birthright as a Jewish person didn't guarantee you heaven didn't mean just because you were born as a Jewish person or born with you know a, a religious background and stuff and very much in our culture you know my parents were Christian my grandpa or whatever that there are going to be some that there's going to be many that think hey I'm supposed to be here, and, I'm, and they're not. They don't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. They might know of Jesus, but they are not known by Jesus. And as we look at the scripture this morning, we're going to kind of talk about uh, humility. Jesus kind of brings out as he's going through, and he's on his way to the cross. And as he's traveling there, and now he gets invited to another dinner, we'll see here. And, and you'd think these Sadducees would have, like, put him on a blacklist after the last dinner we had where it ended up in a whole argument that the whole area came to see what was going on. Uh, but no, this, they still invite him over to dinner and we'll kind of see why here. But really this morning, we're going to look at two kind of things that, number one, it's not about you. And it's all about you. In the sense, it's not about you and what people think about you, but it, he's all about you. And we're going to see that in Scripture. And even for these Pharisees, how Jesus is all about them. You'd think after the last couple experiences at a dinner party, number one, he'd be blacklisted. Number two, you would not want to go. You know, this is a trap waiting to happen. And look with me in verse 14, or verse 1 of chapter 14. It says, And now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that he that they watched him closely. So a ruler, okay, a chief priest most likely, somebody high up in the synagogue has invited him over to eat bread on the Sabbath. And, and this was an important event. The, the you know, people of prominence would be there. 
You'd have to be invited to sit, and it would be an important place to be. It'd be like, um, I don't know, maybe going to the White House for the Christmas dinner. I don't know, that would probably be more Passover, maybe more like St. Patrick's Day at the White House with the president. But important people are going to be there, and the important people, the whole nation's going to be there. And here, they're going to have Jesus there, and they're there, and this term is, they're watching him closely. It is, they're intently or with um, intensity and a sinister purpose, they're watching him. They're setting him up. This is, we're going to put him in this situation, and we're not going to just have a witness to what he's going to do. We're going to have the witness in front of everybody who's important. And when this thing happens in this room, we'll know who everybody's sides are on. It's going to, right? You bring in all the main important people, and we want to see where you stand. When this happens, who are you with? Are you with him? Are you with us? And so this is a a complete setup here. And... In verse 2, and it says, And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. So now you have him, he's in there, it's on the Sabbath, and behold, there's somebody with an illness. And, and, and dropsy is kind of, um, it, it means like water in your countenance or water in your faith. Face. So you'd be swollen up is what it's talking about. Your ankles be swollen, your face be swollen, your expenditures. You could be having liver failure issues. You could be having um, uh, heart, heart arrest issues is what usually we, we, they, they medically speak of now. And, and so it's literally the word translated means water in your continence. In other words, you know, you're, you're getting to the end of your life. You have, you're not, you're, you're, your body's now packing on fluids it shouldn't. It's not processing things properly. Your liver's not working. It's the later stages of your, of the, the, your life and whatever illness you're dealing with in that sense of liver failure or whatever. And so this man, I mean, he would have a hard time walking 100 yards when you have this medical condition. I mean, he's... It would be evident. It would be evident to everybody there that he's sick. And here, having somebody who was ill at a gathering like this, who was, number one, thought to have never had a possible curse from God or getting sick from something because of a curse from God, and then at the same time, having them in a place where they didn't understand diseases. You know, that was kind of hocus-pocus. This guy could be contaminated. You wouldn't have him there at a meal. But yet they have this man there for the sole purpose of We're going to see what Jesus is going to do. And we expect Jesus is going to do what he always does. And that he cares for these people and he's going to heal them. And so we see this in verse 2. We see this man sitting there. And in verse 3 it says, And Jesus answered, spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, did you guys see a question there? I didn't see a question. Did anybody ask Jesus a question like, Hey, are you going to heal this guy? No. But he knew what was going on. He walked into a trap, knowingly walked into the situation, knowing what's going to happen, and he's answering what their heart issue is. He's like, well, let's, let's, let's look at this. He goes, hey, is it lawful? Is it in the Bible? Is it, is it in, your, in, in Scripture that it's wrong to do this? Is it wrong to heal on the Sabbath? And, and the, the thing is, it's not. They added, again, all their traditions to it, and we know all the layers and layers that I've talked about it, and, you know, so, you know, you couldn't work on the Sabbath, but you could do this, you couldn't do that, you know, you couldn't draw water out of a well, but a woman could tie a girdle, so then they could, you know, could tie a knot in girdle, so you could tie that to the bucket to put it in the well. They had all these rules and stipulations of how far you could travel from your house and all, all these things. You know, what comes to mind to me is, okay, so if you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, how do you have a, a feast? 
you get a whole bunch of Gentiles to serve the food? I mean, who's working? It just kind of was an interesting thought. But, you know, they have all these rules and regulations of things you could and couldn't do. And one of them was healing on the Sabbath. They didn't allow. If somebody broke their arm, you weren't allowed to set it. Hey, they're going to live. We'll set it when the sun goes down on Saturday, and then you can heal them. Okay? If somebody's bleeding out, all you could do is tie it off. You couldn't stitch it up. All you could do is just stop the bleeding so they wouldn't die until the Sabbath was over. So, you know, the ER didn't happen. The ambulance would pick you up. They would pack some bandages on there and say, well, you'll probably make it tomorrow and kick you back out of the ambulance. You know, that's kind of the way it was, you know. It's just, and so he asked them, he goes, well, is it in the law? And it's interesting because I think they've learned something here with Jesus. It says, verse 4 says, but they kept silent. They kept silent. They're like, we're, we're not going to answer this guy. We're just going to be quiet. And, and he kind of puts them on trial. He puts them in a hard situation, right? So you're there, you're a Pharisee. You have this man who's very popular, right? That people are, he's the Messiah. He's doing all these miracles and all this stuff. And he asks you, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Well, if you say, yeah, it is. Well, now all your friends around you, oh, you're siding with Jesus, right? It's not in the law. We know it's not in the law, but we've, you know, how would you explain it? Yeah, Jesus, it's not in the law, but our church tradition says you can't. What are the people around going to think? Wait a minute. We don't want to have anything to do with these Jewish leaders. They're cruel. They're horrible people. How could you do that? You know, you, you, these political kind of situations. Jesus puts out a question, and they kept silent. It's like, there, there's a good answer here. You know, our teleprompter's broken, so we're good. We're not answering this one. And it continues in verse 4, and it says, And he took him, and he healed him, and he let him go. Now, Jesus heals him, and, he, and, and it's, it's interesting, the wording. I like it. He, it says he lets him go. Does that man seem like he was there of his own will? Right? It's like, why did Jesus have to heal him and then free him from the situation? Right? It's like, did they just go, we're walking around, yeah, we're going to have this dinner. There's Jesus. We've got to find somebody sick. I mean, they've got to be obvious. You, you're coming. What? You know, you're going to go here and you're going to the feast and he's going to heal you. Watch. I mean, you just, you know, poor guy. You know, Jesus just like, here, heals him, lets him go. And, and he sends him out. And, and the amazing thing is that, that, that was simple, right? Here's this guy here. He's going through this life-threatening thing. And it's just simply mentioned, he's like, here, we're going to heal him and let him go. Forget, forget us looking at the law and hear the word and see the word of a testimony was right and wrong. I'm going to do it right in front of your eyes. Here's the power of God healing somebody. Is, should there be another argument? You know, you can sit around and, and debate. We were talking to a friend um, last night, and he's talking about how his, his son's all into theoretical physics. And it just drives him nuts because he's not. He's into things. It's like, how can you sit around debating a theory based on a theory based on a theory based on a theory to come up with another theory? I mean, it's like, how do, how do you even wrap your mind around if this was that and that was that? And I question if there's any value to any of it, but you sit there and you, and you look at this and it's like, okay, we're just going to end all discussion. You know what I mean? I, I love my children, but there are a lot of what ifs. Man, even still to this day, what if this? What if that? What if you could breed a lion with a coyote and train it? What? Why are we, why? You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of short. I'm getting old, I guess. Like, I don't want to talk. The what-ifs were supposed to end at three or four or six or something, not 19. I mean, you know, 
I love them, but you know, you sit there and you go, you know, it's like there's no more what ifs. What if you healed somebody on the Sabbath? Most of us, if you're in this situation, there wouldn't be a, it'd be a theory of, well, could you heal somebody on the Sabbath? Oh, let's all sit around and talk. About it. No, Jesus just, boom, does it. No big deal, simple. And then he answered them saying, which one of you have a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit and will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. Now, it's obvious. If you had a donk, donkey or an ox or an animal and it falls into a well or a pit or something, you couldn't wait till the next day. It would die. That's your livelihood. That's your farm tractor type thing. But your farm tractor would, you know, be dead. So you have to deal with it. And you can imagine where all these rules are in place where you can't work and you can't do all these things. They've all... It's not like nobody wouldn't notice you pulling a donkey or an ox out of a hole that day, right? It's like nobody's working. But then there's these guys over there, and you hear grunting, and they're getting ropes, and they're pulling. Yeah, it's like you do those basic things. And so it's amazing how simple it was for Jesus to heal this guy and meet their need, but the men in this room and the hardness of their heart. But yet he cared enough about this person to heal the, him of this dropsy, but at the same time, he's still lovingly, and you're going to see him again and again, all the way to the cross, knowing he's going to a cross, knowing that they are going to put him to death and still not accept him, that he's still sitting there bearing with them, still willing to confront them and deal with it and work on the hardness of their heart. And, and you know, we sit here and we look at them and go, man, all these Pharisees, and you throw them all in one category. But as you looked at last time, you had Josephus and Nicodemus and the leaders in the Sanhedrin. And there are men that are in this room, that are in this group, that were planning to deal with Jesus. Even men that probably put him on the cross and saw what happened after with the veil being broken and everything else, that end up confessing Christ and get saved. And so, you know, it's kind of hard not to just lump them all into this category. Oh, they're all horrible. Oh, it's a Pharisee period, you know, and we can do that with groups. But... So you see this, and Jesus still long-suffering for those there. And we kind of see, he, he, um, he starts in verse 7, if you look with me, and he starts to tell them this parable. And it says, so he told them a parable to those who were invited, and he noted how they had chose the best seats, saying to them. So he sits there, he sees how they come in. He sees this room, and how they sat down and who was most important. And, and he gives this parable. A parable is a picture kind of starts to reveal a truth. I'm going to give you a picture and then it opens your eyes to a truth or a deeper truth and a deeper meaning in the sense of, of what's going on in your heart. It helps you to look at yourself, right? It kind of shines a mirror back at you. And, and so he starts this parable goes, hey, when you guys came in and sat down for dinner, Okay, you guys are all jostling for seats. And, and in that culture, the important seat around the table was the most important thing. And, and depending on how you fit in that society and how good you were, it, it was all a seating arrangement. There, there was this whole setup, kind of like high school, right? There's the popular kid and then who got to sit next to him and at what table and, you know. And, and it, there was this whole there at an organization and, he, and he, so he brings this picture up you know and, and he, he brings it up and he kind of explains it a little more here so he saw, watched how they came and sat down how they're worried about what people think about them with their position and well I can't, I can't 
sit in front of that guy because he's kind of better than me and this guy, but I still want to be up near the person. It's very much like if you went to, you know, a prominent dinner with the president. The last thing you want, yeah, I was there, it's cool, but it's nicer to be at his table or next to him at his table. Verse 8, it says, And when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place least one or the place least one more honorable than you or the best place, at least one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him comes and says to you, give the place to this man. And then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when he who invites you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up here, go up higher. And you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. So Jesus isn't just giving a good advice here not to do literally the walk of shame, right? And, and not good wedding etiquette. Today we have this wedding etiquette. I mean, back then we didn't, they obviously didn't have name cards worked out very well, right? But one of the hardest things of planning a wedding is, right, who's going to sit next to who? And where are they going to sit? But could you imagine walking into that room, you're invited, you don't look at the name cards and, you know, you got the table up on stage with the wedding party there and you go sit in the place where the groom's supposed to sit? What are you sitting over here for? You know, Uncle Joe, go to the back over there. We got you over there with uh, Aunt, what's her name or something. And, you know, you were invited because you had some DNA, not that, you know, you, you see that. And, and there's situations we run into these things kind of in our culture to this day. And, you know, it, it's not just good advice in this. It's where's your heart at? Where's your position at? Are you competing against the people around you? You know, and we look at that. We worry about ourselves. And, and it's not just, um, it's not just these Jewish people. You know, we, we think about this, all these Jewish people, well, didn't they know better? I mean, these, these Jewish leaders always, listen, struggling for position. We do it in many areas from parking spaces. Right? Oh, the best parking spaces or that, you know. You, you look at, um, you know, I can see sporting events wanting to be close to the action, the best seat in the house. But, you know, it, it goes all the way down to... Um, just things, and I look back, and high school comes to mind a lot of times, and I guess this week mainly does. Um, because of Facebook, somebody posted a picture of uh, me and a group of other guys in eighth grade, the basketball team, you know, and got tagged in it, and a couple people talking, and you just think back, and man, eighth grade was, was rough for me. Came out of homeschool, first year in public school, and um, even though I was considered a Bible thumper, and nobody would be surprised to hear I'm a pastor now or anything like that, I still was so concerned about what other people thought of me and stuff, and I look back and I go, man, I wish I wasn't. Not long after that, when I, when I ended up trading school, I went to Big Bear High School, and my dad ended up passing away. Some rough things were going on, but it really opened my eyes to this is a joke. I, I don't need to worry about what other people think. I, I have the truth of God's word. There's, you know, life and death is real. What's more important here? And, and I still look back at, at some of those pictures and these people and just pray for them. It's like, man, I, if I would have just not been so stupid and selfish, some of these things these kids were going through, the things you learn later, it's like I can't believe they were living in that situation and that whole thing. And, 
you know, I was so worried about myself. And, and those things come up, and even today we can do it. I, I, you know, one of the biggest things I think, you know, you walk into places, and I, I really like most of the companies I've worked at and their construction, because I cannot handle high school attitude. <laughs> Some of these businesses you go to, and it's like, it's, it doesn't matter how hard you worked or anything else, you know, you're going to get promoted on who likes you and this and that. I've worked at a couple companies that way, and I don't fit in too well. I don't drink, I don't, you know. And so it, it's interesting, but today I was thinking, so there's that if you're young in here and you go to high school and you're involved in those things and, and consider those things. And at the same time, you can sit there and go, okay, what, what are things like that today where we're worried about position or how we look, you know? Um, verse 11 says, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you're out there and you're looking at exalting yourself, you're, you're going to be humbled at a point. Something's going to fall apart, and you're going to be humbled. And, and, you know, you hear these terms, you know, fake it until you make it, and all these things to be, I'm going to be this, and, and perception. And really, our whole world's based on that. You look at, you can go into how we dress, what we wear, how they sell us stuff. It's all based on how we look and our performance. And um, if you were to have a class reunion, when you're like talking to these people online, Heidi had a class reunion last night. Her whole graduating class was at her house last night from Lucerne Valley Christian School. So uh, Ryan Potziet, the whole rest of her whole graduating class showed up uh, to her house last night. It was just them two. And I, they were the two only seniors. So the whole class graduated, which is very successful for school. So, um, but you sit there and you go, okay, what do you talk about? I mean, most of the time it's all what I've done, what I've accomplished, and, and all these type things, you know, and you know, you kind of want to tell everybody how, how better you've been or, you know, how awesome you are now. And, you know, we still do that. I mean, and I'll let, disclaimer, don't be judging other people's Facebook pages. But that's where it happens a lot of times, right? When people post stuff now, look at this accomplishment, you know. There's some of you guys out there I know, you, you're, you're very humble. You post, you know. There's all kinds of things, post prayer and all those things are awesome. But, you know, some of you guys suppose, look at the stupid thing I did. And I mean, God bless you. The rest of us, you know, we usually post the great accomplishments or this and sharing it. And you got to check your own heart on that. I mean, some of it's just sharing things going on in your life. Other things are, hey, I got to break to everybody, you know, this and that. Um, some of the old youth uh, we had at Lodi, I see some of their posts, these, these still young kids do things and they're leaning against their car, this or that. It's like, yeah, I know you don't drive around in a tux and in your BMW every day, you know, but you know, they're proud they've got their whatever car and stuff. And so you think of that, and it's interesting to see as we think and go, is there a way I'm trying to exalt? Am I worried about what other people are thinking? Or am I more focused? Is that should be my focus? And even to the extent of being depressed, I'm, oh, I have low self-esteem. Do you know what low self-esteem is, what the problem is? You're worrying about yourself too much. If you're not worried about yourself, you don't care what anybody else thinks. How can you have low self-esteem if you're not thinking about yourself? And it, it always comes back to this world is very, we're very, naturally very selfish. And it, what, what's amazing is even at this time with these leaders, they're still selfish. And to this day, we're still selfish and self-seeking. You know, and, and so... As we look at this, let's turn to James, um, James chapter 4, 6. This is a, a good verse for this here. 
James chapter 4, I want to start in verse 6, read through a couple here. It says, uh, James chapter 4, starting in verse 6, says, But he gives more grace, therefore, sa- therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, you sit here and you, you go, okay, so, so why is this humility thing and being humble such an important thing? Because ultimately it is the cure for worldliness. If you're so seeking this world and you're concerned about this world and what's going on and this pride that comes of what people think of me, the biggest cure for pride and for a lot of these sins is being humble. We see it here, you know, it says in that verse it talks about, you know, flee from the devil. That's where he gets in. It's amazing how many things people will do and even horrible things because of what people will think. And what people will think about them. You know, called peer pressure in those things. How many of you guys can look back at a picture of you when you were younger and are like, wow, man, I had style. I was like, no. You know, some of the comments back then, I mean, even the comment on there was like, man, boomers still, still, still had a, what an awesome mullet. You know, it's like, what? Nobody wants to admit to having that kind of hairdo. You look at it and you sit back, but you see these things of how we react and how Satan can get in there and the thoughts. And it can even be thoughts where it's not that you're doing great. Satan loves to come in there and go, well, you know what? You're doing all these things, but nobody really cares. You know, it's nobody's really concerned about you. Oh, I'm, you know, I have no self-esteem. I'm just a servant. I'm just a slave. You know, nobody concerns me about myself. And again, now you're focused on yourself and what you're getting and the response you're getting. But yet, if you humble yourself and you seek God and you ask him to change your heart, he, he's going to lift you up. And compared to any joy you can get from other people patting you on the back and looking up to you, that is short-lived, generally not sincere, the lifting up and the joy and the happiness and the peace in Christ, in reality, is of real value. You look at, you know, musicians, pop stars, and all these things, and how depressed they are, and how many drugs they're on, and shaving their head, and all this misery. And you go, well, wait a minute. You think, shoot, they're at the head of the table. They're not just sitting up there high. They're at the head of the table. But they find out everybody below them on the table is only there because they're at that position on the table. They have no true friends. They have no real anything. You find out when you finally got yourself to that position you wanted to be in, well, all the other people are only there behind you because they want to take your position or they're, you know, they're using you. And that's the way the world works, and, and it's destructive, and, and they're, they're, your joy in those things become to lamenting and mourning. You, know, you sit down and you look at life and you go, okay, what have you accomplished? Okay, is a financial leisure going to reveal happiness? Well, since I graduated, I got a, you know, 
million dollars here and this and this and I'm rich and and that and um, you, you kind of sit down and you look at those you, those things and it's sad to see. It is truly sad to see. Verse 12, it says, Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, don't ask your friends, or the better translations, don't be asking your friends again and again. Your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, least they also invite you back to be repaid. So the thought here is, not that you don't throw a wedding and invite family, but every time you do an event or have an event, don't be constantly inviting those people that are there, you know, so you're going to get a return. Back then, this had a lot, great, a lot more meeting to go to a wedding feast. That wedding feast lasted days, and you, got, you ate better than you would probably eat all year. To be able to eat food, eat a lot of food, and consistently and not worry about it, that was a huge blessing. It was a great part of a celebration to be able to go and be there. Today, I don't think we have really anything um, comparison-wise. You know, I, you go to Hearst Castle and you hear the parties they throw, and people would just get, you know, stuck on a plane, land in the water out there, and get brought up to the thing, and they'd have gowns and, you know, wear whatever dress you want and take whatever you want home. And, you know, it'd be that kind of thing. Could you imagine... Somebody with a ton of money shows up at your house or that type of guy, and he's like, hey, I want you to come over to my party this week. And you're like, I got to work and this and that and this and that. And he goes, here, here's 50 grand to pay your bills. Come anyways. I mean, that's the kind of party you would have. And, and when you threw that kind of party, these, these guys are going, okay, if I invite people and I put all this money and expense out, I want to make sure I'm going to invite people that are going to invite me over to their place later because I'm spending all my life savings on this. At least, you know, dollar amount, the ledger-wise, I can get something in return. If I invite this guy, you know, his daughter's young. She's going to be getting married next year. He's really wealthy. I want to have that guy come to my wedding, so I have to invite you. He has to invite me, and that way it kind of works out. And so that way I get paid back something. You know, there's some kind of benefit. You know, if I have, if I put on this extravagant things, I want these people of influence, you know, and that ledger. And so... He, he says in verse 13, but when you give and feast, invite the poor, the, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because you, they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You know, you, you hear this term, you know, um, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Right? We do this to this day. Not, it might not be a wedding feast or something like that, but it's, it's going to be, where are you going to go to college? It's not that that's the best college for what you're getting, but you're going to meet the right people at that college. So when they get into power positions, you have this influence, you have these connections. You know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And very much with us, it is not what you know, it's who you know. Or more importantly, who knows you? And so, this, this is, it's amazing how, how, how these things are so built into human nature. You think back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to this whole different culture, whole different time, and this is still the thing. You go to anywhere in any culture in the world, and this is what's important. You can go to South Stockton off Highway 4, and what's important? It's who you know. You better know the shot caller. You better know the big boss. You better know somebody. But guess what? 
You can go from South Stockton to Washington and guess what's important? It's who you know. You better know the shot color. You better know this. You better know that, right? It, it, it's, it's there, art world. I was looking at a thing. My daughter had a little thing at Delta College. You find out the art world, why is art worth so much money? It's because who you know and who they know, who's willing to put that price on it, who they know has money to says this person. You know what I mean? You look at it, it's a whole, a whole racket. You know, it's how, how's that painting worth $3 million? Because this group of people who are supposed to know, who knows these people that get together. You know, dog shows or whatever. It's, it's throughout the whole world. This is the world we live in. In a sense, and it operates this way. And, and Jesus goes, if you really want to be blessed, serve people that can't have no way of blessing you back. You know, and, and it's interesting. We see... Um, you know, I love some people and some nonprofits we know very dear and well and, and help them. And man, the gal who, who um, manages, takes care of some of these nonprofits, I, the hardest thing I think I've seen her do is to plan some of these charitable events because she has to do the seating arrangement. Right? You got all these people of prominence, they want to be with this and that. And, you, and every year she does it. And the next thing you know, the week after, I just told you, you realize the week after, you're going to have half the people there mad at you. I've seen you do it three years in a row, and every time there's somebody calls you, you're going to get a letter. And all this. She goes, no, but this year, I said, just, just, just expect it. You're not going to keep everybody happy and be okay with it. And, and it's there, and, and it's not even that, you know, they'll go and they give away to a charitable event. Well, guess what? They might not be getting money back from this charitable event, but they're getting prosper. They're getting something back, right? I want to sit in this thing, I'm going to sit in this position, I'm a gold star, platinum elite donor, and, you know, and I want, you know, let's run the names on the board, and, you know, it, it all works along these lines, and it, it's interesting to see how we are, and how we're built, and that's not the way it should be among us. That's not what we should be focused on. Let's look at Matthew uh, 25, 31. Let's turn there to Matthew 25, 31. So in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. And I love this last part of, of 14 here. It says... You, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. There is a reward, but the reward is eternal. And, and not to say that should be our, our primary motive, but let's look at Matthew 21, or 25, verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man has come in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate one from another, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And he will set at the sheep on the right hand, but on the goats on the left. And then king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. And for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. And I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did you and, and, um, and clothe you? Verse 39, or when did you see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king answered, will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, in so much as you do it to the one of the least of my brethren, you've done it for me. There's going to be a reward in heaven for serving those who cannot repay. And it's not serving them, it's serving Jesus. And if you're sitting here and go, yeah, I love my Lord and Savior. Yeah, you know, I was on this and this and this, and he freed me and my say, wow, God's awesome. Love Jesus. Got a bumper sticker, says I love Jesus. Got a couple shirts that say I love Jesus. I just don't like people. What? I mean, I've heard it, right? Oh, I really, I really like Jesus. I really love Jesus. I just don't like church because there's people there, and there's, you know, I don't like that person and this person and that. Really? If you love Jesus, why? Because I serve people because that's the heart he's given me and I have this relationship and it comes from that. And more importantly, when you do something and you're humble about it, this goes beyond money and possessions or you know, repaying, going to a nice dinner. This is caring for people's human needs, for people suffering, giving your time. You know, There's many times people love to give money but not an ounce of their time. I'm too busy for this. Let me just give you some money and you go on your way. I feel good, you feel good, and you're on your way. Instead of slowing down and caring and it's interesting to sit here and think and go, man, you know, like I do, looking back at how many people I've ran into, going, man, I wish it would have took more time to care for some of these people. Because when I look back, I, I never remember, oh, yeah, somebody threw an awesome party, man. I'm glad they invited me. No. But there's a couple of people, I'm glad that person, with all the craziness going on in their life, took some time to pay attention to what was going on in my life, to care about me. You know, I'm, I'm glad that you know, how many people in here can go, oh, I'm glad my dad made a lot of money and paid no attention to me. No. No kid cares about that. No, I'm glad my dad took some time and spent some time with me and hung out with me. And when I was going through that, even though we were button heads, man, he was always there willing to love me and butt heads back with me and, you know, train me. And it's interesting because in verse 15, it kind of like this this. There's a guy in the crowd, and it's like, oh, no, this is just this another dinner party getting silent with tension. Right here, Jesus is convicting him. And so this guy wants to, I guess, speak up probably and cut the tension in the room. You know, and uh, I was thinking about this. Sometimes, I mean, I, as you teach through it, you can just, there's tension. Sometimes up here I can see conviction. I know it, it's, and I, I, it makes me uncomfortable. It makes you uncomfortable, it makes me uncomfortable, and that's what God wants is us to be uncomfortable. Do you know that? You know, this guy is obviously in the situation of, of being uncomfortable, and I, I, you slow down, you kind of actually like it. When you think about it is, why is there tension? Because God's doing something. He's working. If there's conviction, if you sit here and go, wow, yeah, I wonder what my Facebook page looks like, or what do I do, or how do I act? Do I really focus on other people, or am focused on myself? And if the Holy Spirit's laying that on you, good. Because he's going to give you an answer for it. He's going to take care of it. But at the same time, there should be, there's a time to have conviction. There's a time to sit down and, and, and a seriousness with things. And 
hear this guy, though, you know, trying to uh, just maybe just relieve it. He says, now when, verse 15, it says, and now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard him these things, he said, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the house of God. Let's just make this precaution. Hey, blessed is all of us who are going to eat bread in the house of God. Do you all agree? I mean, he might be intoxicated a little. You know, like, oh, this guy's a real downer. Let's, you know, lighten the party up here. It is just, it's interesting to see this right here. And, and, and his comment, and you think this is a pretty, um, like, nobody's going to argue with that, right? If, if somebody's, you know, sitting there and, oh, feel conviction, and somebody goes, Oh, we're all going to party in heaven. And this was a common thing around the Jews. I mean, we, we see it in Revelation 19, the supper of the Lamb, the wedding feast of the Lamb, the marriage feast of the Lamb, this, this, uh, this thought of when we get to heaven, there's going to be this great feast. And there is, and, and this was a theme throughout the Old Testament and Bible, that there's going to be this time of rejoicing and things. So he's like, hey, he's, he's right on. Yeah, blessed are those who are going to be there. But you have Jesus sitting there, remember? You think Jesus is done with these guys? No, he loves them. It's not going to be like, oh, oop, party foul. Let's just reset this thing. Let's forget about it. Let's just go on and smile at each other. No, I know what's coming. My time's short. You guys need to get this. I care about you. It's about them. And in verse 16, he says, And then he said to them, A certain man gave a great... So he pulls out another parable. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many... And his servants at the supper, or and at, and he sent his servants at, yeah, and he sent his servants at supper time to say to those who were invited, "Come, for all things are now ready." But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. So you have this big wedding. It's going to happen for days. The, the invitations have gone out. They know it's getting ready. It's going to come soon. And, and it wasn't like the wedding as we have. The, the wedding would be getting ready. And they'd go, okay, it's ready. Go get everybody. And there would be days of people coming in. Kind of like the thief in the night. They'd go grab the bride. She, she'd be waiting for the groom. And she'd be waiting. And suddenly he shows up like a thief in the night and grabs her because dad says, okay, today's a wedding. It's on. We're ready to go. We got everything in order. And so it's time to come. Send the servants out. Get everybody here. We're ready. That would be an awesome way to do a wedding, right? Wouldn't that just like chill things out? You're getting ready and everything else. And okay, just text everybody when we're all ready to go. Okay, the bride finally got here. Groom finally got here. The pre-pastor, we got it all set up. Okay, text everybody. They can come now. We'll be ready when they get here. I like that version of things but so that's how they did it and when this all those who were invited all the family all the people that should be there that should know the master they all start to give an excuse here you have this great event this important event and and with one accord they start giving abuse even though each of their excuses are different it's one excuse the heart issue is the same you know and um it's kind of interesting you know, I, I like it. It says, they began to make excuses. Make excuses. You know what that means? That's like building an excuse, putting together, well, let's get this piece and this aspect. And if I put this aspect in excuse, you know, dog and homework. Uh, this week I had two employees show up late and they had the exact same excuse. I mean, cell phone chargers are hard to come by these days. And, and remembering to plug them in. 
beautiful thing with an alarm that used to plug into a wall unless your power went out. Then you had your phone for a backup. Oh, no, never mind. No, I had that happen once. I had it set for AM instead of PM, and that, that was bad. But, um, you know, they build an excuse. They're putting it together. Their heart's in the wrong place. This is so unreal to the hearers of this story. One of the biggest things that can happen in your world, one of the greatest things that can happen in your world, one of the greatest celebrations, and you're going to make an excuse. You know, I don't think we have anything that compares to an, a wedding event like this. I mean, that would be like you've, you're planning, you're hearing months that, hey, we're all going to Disneyland or Disney World. We're going to take a three-week vacation. It's all paid for in full. You don't have to, that, you know, that makes, you know, for a parent, that would be everything, right? You can go to Disneyland and everything's going to be paid for. You know, your $85 soda is going to be covered. You know, he's just like, you don't have to go out to your car and pack a lunch or anything. It's going to be all covered. And that day comes and you're like, oh, well, you know, have some things going on. Sorry about that. That's why these, these hearers would just be shocked by this. And the first one says to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. So I'll have to be excused. You know, I got a, I got a business. I, I bought some possessions. I need to make sure they're good. I, I, I bought a piece, and, you know. Because you guys all know, if you buy some land and you don't get there in time, it's going to disappear. That's the way real estate works. It's here today, gone tomorrow. No. You know, it's not going nowhere. You bought a field, it's there. You know, I, I got to go take care of it. And another guy, he goes, okay, that one's used. I got to go to the next one. Well, I bought five oxen, yokes of oxen, and I got to go test them out. I got to, man, I bought a brand new car. I just got to see how well this thing runs. I got to take it on a road trip. Sorry. I got to be excused. You know, my business, my farm, I just got some new equipment. I got to, you know, test it all out, make sure we're good here. Verse 20 says, but another says, I'm, I have married a wife, and therefore I can't come. I'm married. Sorry, guys, can't come. This isn't a football game. <laughs> like, hey, I'm married. My family comes first. You know, and, and that would be fine if it was just a wedding or just something, but we're talking about eternal things. Again, it's a parable to reveal where these people's hearts are. We're talking about heaven and eternity and going, well, you know, God, I want to have time for you in my life, but my possessions, what I have, are more important. Oh, God, I want to have time for you in life, but, you know, my business, I, I, gotta, I, I would serve you, but I got I to work. I got to keep those things going. I have a business. I got to run it. Oh, my family, Lord, my, my family comes first, you know, and there's, you know, and, and they, there I want to keep my kids happy. There's sports on Sunday. There's this or this or whatever, and I, that, that's my focus. I'm all about my family. You're for family, Lord, so I'm going to put you aside and focus on my family. And that's where it comes into it for us in our lives is, is where are we at with that? Um, sometimes it's interesting, you know, as you prepare and get ready and preparing to teach, some things just kind of hit you hard, too, um, and saddened. And, and more I thought about it, saddened. I, I went up, I, I, I was at a place where I met a man I, I probably won't run into ever again, um, making a purchase from him. And he was talking about the church he was going to, because he had brought a couple things up, asking if her van, church van or family or whatever. 
started talking with him. Oh, so you're a believer this and that. Said, yeah, you know, years ago, we saw the church getting built off in the distance when we bought the house, a big old church. And so when it opened, we went there. But, you know, last six months, we got a new pastor. I don't like him really much, you know, and this and that. Went to see your old pastor. Oh, so I was, yeah. So he goes, yeah, he's, he's very, you know, just teaches through and he, he studies. And it's, you know, it's all about the Bible. It's all about the word. And he goes there and he goes, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, you're at a church? I said, yeah, we're very much about the word. He goes, yeah, you know, but, you know, I mean, I'm studied. I'm well-educated, you know. When we, we study things all week and I still take night classes for some stuff here and all that. I just want to go and hear some good and positive, you know, encouraging stories. I don't need to, I don't need to think. I just want to go, you know, de- just go relax and decompress and just enjoy it. And I'm just so sad and it's like, what? <laughs> what? I mean, no, you know, I, I got all these other things in my life that are important. And the, and the Word of God, I don't need to study the Word of God. I just... You know, tell me some encouraging things that God does and how he loves us and stuff. And this guy, man, he just wants to tell you about what the words mean and all this stuff. And, you know, and I was like, so does he apply it? Yeah, he says, why we got to grow and stuff. But again, that, you know, I don't want to get assigned homework. And it's like, homework, you know, it's like, it's just so saddened. I mean, you know there's people out like that. It's just interesting that somebody will straight out tell you that, right? Like, I'm just here to be entertained. And this, this, you know, this new guy doesn't isn't entertaining. I want to decompress. This isn't important, you know. And even to the point of, you know, as I'm talking to him, and he goes, "Yeah," and this and that. And he goes, "Oh, so you guys serve?" I said, "Yeah, we serve." He goes, "Man, I like serving, man. You know, if it's all about you in this life, it, it's horrible. But, you know, you can really have a good life and be a good you. I, I like to help with the, you know, Special Olympics, and when I'm serving, I just get so much out of it, you know. So by giving away, I get out of it, and so I benefit." So the only reason you're serving is because you get a feeling out of it. And that's where you can look at humility and go, well, okay, I want God to exalt me to the fastest way to the top is for me to be humble. So I'm going to practice being humble so I can get to the top. It doesn't work that way. I'm going to serve people because I get a good feeling out of it. Then you have your reward. And you, know, and, and you can try to fake those things. But what, what happens, what I've found out is as you try to fake to care about people, guess what you really don't do? You don't care about people. And at a point, you get to a point where you go, I've been doing all this and nobody's ever. And that's when you realize, yeah, you've been doing all that. And God hasn't been doing any of it. You know, and you sit there and you'll hear people go, you know, well, I went to church and this and this and all these people are this and that and this and that and this and that and that. And then A.W. Tozer goes, yeah, you go to church and everybody's about each other and all this and that and this and that. And you're all upset at church because of all the people there, well, you went for the wrong reason. You weren't supposed to go for the people. You're supposed to go to meet God. If you went and go to hang out with God and get to know God, you wouldn't have come back disappointed. If you go for people, then, yeah, you're going to be disappointed. And so it's just, you know, as you, as you sit and you see that, it's just grievous to see. It's like, man, this guy's been going and he's just missed it. What's the... Missed, missed Christ. How do you miss Christ? Verse 21, it says, And so that servant came and reported these things to the master of the house. Being angry, he said to his servants, Go out quickly into the streets, into the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the lame, or the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done for you as you command, and still there is room. 
I'm going to go find everybody I can. This, this, you don't want to come? I'm going to find anybody and everybody. They're welcome. You're going to reject your Messiah? I'm going to find everybody. I'm coming after the whole world. And even after they went out and emptied everybody they could find, hey, the par- room's still half empty. I've done everything you've said. The room's still half empty. And then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of these men who were invited shall taste my supper. I said, man, nobody, anybody that made an excuse, there's not a point to come. And he goes out and he compels, compels. And isn't that what Jesus does to this day with us? No matter what state you're in, no matter how blind, lame, damaged you are from sin, from this world, God comes out and he compels us to come. He compels us to come. And this is such a beautiful scripture. Sadly, in church history, it's a scripture used for much harm. Much harm. They use this scripture for many times that, hey, God said we should come out and compel people at the tip of a sword to convert. He took it to that far of an extent. The Lord said we're supposed to compel you, so we're going to torture you until you confess Jesus. But the fact that he comes out, and that's God's heart for us, is to come out and compel. It's amazing to see the difference here, and and really it doesn't matter who you know, it matters who knows you. And when you've settled that in your heart, as we looked last week that Jesus Christ, when he came back and he said, where are my brethren? Not you're the brothers and sisters of Christ as a believer, but that you have that relationship and that's your standing in heaven. What else do you need? Who, give me one other person that opinion should matter to you besides the creator of the universe who knows you intimately and loves you. You can't feel full of him, you can't thing, and he still loves you. Nobody else's opinion should matter at all. And since nobody else's opinion should matter, that should give you all kinds of freedom. Guess what? I can do this, and I'm going to serve this person, and I'm going to serve God this way, and because he's telling me to, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. They can think I'm crazy. They can think I'm nuts. I'm just going to serve God regardless. You know? Well, God, how do I love this person? That seems dumb and crazy, but I'll do it. His opinion is the only one that matters. You know, to go out and share God's love and love and truth is, is a, it is an amazing thing. Um, Luke 15, 8. One more scripture we're going to go to before we close here. Luke 15, 8 here. And we're going to, yes, yeah, so we're just, spoiler alert, okay? A couple weeks we'll be here, but spoiler alert. Or what woman... Luke 15, 8 says, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one, doesn't light a lamp, sweep the house, and search for it carefully until she finds it? And when she found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I have lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, Jesus Christ is sitting here, and his main concern is, yes, he dealt with the man 
who had dropsy and healed him, but here he's still bearing with him. And he's gonna, he still keeps up the conviction all the way to the last moment. Hey, if you guys don't get this, you guys are not going to even get a bite of the meal. You're going to miss out on the supper of the Lamb. You need to understand, it's not, you, you need to really slow down and stop worrying about yourself. Think about the Messiah. You're sitting in a room with, I mean, can you imagine sitting up there in the front of the President of the United States with all these important people in there and you sit there and go, you guys need to stop worrying about what other people think about you. <laughs> Perfect place to do it, right? But to lovingly say that, and this is what the amazing thing is, is as Christ, these are his lost sheep. Every person. It doesn't matter if you think yourself the worst sinner in here and you've blown it more than anybody else in the world or whatever state you're in. He's going to search for you. He uses this parable of this woman looking for a coin. And he, even if you're against him, even if you believe you're the, he's the enemy and you're going to put him to death, he still pursues you. He pursued Hitler. You think of the worst person in the world. God loved them, paid for their sin, and desired them to come into salvation. Desired. That was just their desire. If they were willing or not, it's all up to them. But he desired it. Right? And you sit there and you look at that. And here's the amazing thing. Some of you guys might not believe this. But in verse 10 it says, Likewise I say to you, it is joy in the presence of all the angels and God over one sinner who repents. So wait a minute. Who's in this sentence here? We have angels. We have God. So who's joyful over one sinner repenting? Oh, that would be our Savior. That would be our Lord and Savior that's taking joy in every sinner that repents. Isn't that an amazing thought to sit there and think about Wow, man, that person, I can't believe God took joy when that person got saved. Awesome. And then you might stop and think, go, wait a minute. God took joy when I got saved. God takes joy when I repent. In the sight of heaven and all the angels, God's taking joy in those things. Even when some of these Pharisees who put him on the cross repented after and accepted him as their Lord and Savior. He took great joy in that. Because if we have any example of humility laying aside heaven, laying aside who he is and every right he had to come down, to live, to die, to take our sin upon him, and then taking joy in the repentance of the change of it. You talk about doing something without ever being able to repay somebody. I don't know about you, I don't think I can ever come up with a way of repaying Jesus for what he's forgiven me and saved me from. As I look back when I was younger, I go, man, I knew some, but boy, did I miss so much. Boy, did I miss so much. You know, it's not like, I know some of you guys in here are, look back and go, Tim, you're foolish. You're raised in the church. You knew God at a young age. Yeah, I was raised in the church and I knew God at a young age. I knew the truth of God's word from a young age. And I withheld it from so many people because I was selfish. You had no clue and did all these crazy things. I had every clue and was yet a sinner, and God still forgave me of those things. So, there. Plain field Evie. I don't have no drug dealing history, stories, murdering people, none of that. So, 
I was just a believer who was selfish and still selfish many times and can be selfish at times. So this morning when you sit down and you look and you go, okay, where, where are you at? Are you all humble now? <laughs> Is the tension there? But how do you stay humble? How does that actually, how do you stay humble? If you're in the word of God and you're in a relationship with God, he's going to make it evident. If you have a true view of who yourself, if you turn a light on, you stay humble. If you're looking at yourself, your reflection in a mirror, most of us are going to stay humble. I don't see many teenagers in here still, ooh, yeah, look at that. It doesn't happen anymore. There's a couple things in my house that I've been able to have an influence on in decorating, and Heidi probably doesn't know that I have an influence in in decorating. It just hasn't happened like a full-length mirror. We don't got one in my house. <laughs> Praise the Lord. No, <laughs> no I, don't, I know what I look like. I don't need to, you know, I'm not young. I'm not this anymore. You look back at those pictures and you go, man, all that energy I could have used for later on, you know, and now I'm getting old and things are breaking down. You know, we used to joke around, yeah, the church we were part of, it was all older people because they had a doctor for everything. You talk to somebody, oh, yeah, I know a doctor. Oh, I got this and that and this and that. And we're the only ones that didn't have a doctor for everything. Now we have a doctor for everything. Refer somebody to something for this or that. And, oh, you got this? Take this pill and that thing. Yeah. And if you're not there yet, you will be. Sorry. That's the way it goes. But as you look back and you look back at this time, the last thing I want to do is look back at this time and go, man, I was so selfish or I was so interested in this. I totally missed that. Instead of missing the family, the people God has placed around us and, and just the joy of, of that and being part of what God's doing, that we get to rejoice when a sinner repents. What an awesome thing. You know, we, we see things, we see each other fall in sin. You be around this fellowship falling long enough, everybody here is going to struggle with sin. And you're going to see it happen. But guess what? God's faithful. And we could rejoice in that day when, wow, look, God's restoring that person. What an awesome thing. And that is a joyous thing to see. Because we can repent. We can change. It's not the end of us. And God's not done with any of us. And when you have that perspective and you have a real perspective of who God is in your life, it's easy to stay humble. You know what I mean? I, personally, I know how evil and wicked Tim is. You know? Ask some of those eighth graders I knew. You know? I know their opinion of me wouldn't be that high, I'm sure, still. Not that I was any particularly horrible, but I was selfish. I wasn't very caring. And so, when you realize who you are and you realize who our Savior is, again, it's not who you know it's who he knows it's that he knows you it's not that you're known it's that he knows you and you know him you have a real relationship with him and it's not fake let's pray dear God we thank you for your word we thank you just for perspective God sometimes we can get so concerned about just everything in this world and everything going around around us God I thank you that we get to have the perspective of just who you are. That we can stay humble because you love us. That you've been a, an example to where we just can never repay what you've done for us, what you've done for me. God, we just thank you that you've forever changed us. 
just thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.